the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. And we are back to the time 608. We have three lines open, one 367 If you want to call in with your question, comments, or observations, you certainly may. We are dealing with a hypothetical situation, which is not so uncommon in our world, where an indiscretion that leads to an immoral act that basically becomes a crime Uh, particularly if we are dealing with the tangible realities of a date rape situation. The young man is interested in a young lady and they happen to find an occasion to be somewhere privately. And he has premeditatedly purchased uh, a date rape pill that would put her into a state of um, either just drowsiness, hyper drowsiness or uh, unconsciousness altogether. In a court of law, if this is proven uh, factually, he has committed a crime. And that crime would include the premeditated uh, act of rape because it's an engagement of sexual activity with a woman who has not consented with him for that. Now, it would be a problem uh, if she did consent because they're in a seminary. And so uh, this this speaks, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, to the reality that we live in a very, very complex world of hyper brokenness on the part of human beings. I mean, we could talk about this at length. We could talk about the young lady on a spiritual, psychological level and her need to somehow draw attention to men in the wrong way. We've talked about this in our DOG, Daughters of Grace uh, classes, just recently over the last couple of years about um, the need for women to have enough self-esteem and self-worth to be attractive versus being seductive, to be able to dress in a way and in an attire biblically that honors God, honors their uh, uh, femininity, and, uh, and not be such that is actually advertising things that really don't constitute the real person. In other words, you may be gifted with a body that can draw attention to a man, but that's not the essence of who you are. That is a subsistent component. <laughs> and, and quite frankly, it's going to get old one day and it's going to be completely irrelevant. And what happens then? Um, and so our society is filled with levels of superficiality in such a way that we find ourselves actually seeking to abuse ourselves or abuse others in order to seek a satisfaction that will evade us. And this is why you have this scenario of men raping women, and in some cases, women, men, over and over and over again. Uh, If these are two young people, Ellen, they are individuals who grew up in a culture of pornography and perversity that's out out on the table. It's flat out on the table. Everything that used to be in the dark is on the table now. And our kids in their own private spaces are engaging in pornography uh, uh, privately. So the young man that's in the seminary, and this is no secret, the stats have been done, and we know this for a fact. The average young man in seminary today aspiring to get his degree in theology is all jacked up. 
Uh, the chances of him making it in ministry are extremely slim. The uh, the 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 chances of a young man coming out of seminary. That's why uh, yearly, uh, you know, seminary students who come out within the first five years of practicing the pastorate ends up collapsing out of the pastorate because the work is so severely difficult that he can't handle it. But a lot of it has to do with a lack of integrity. Uh, What seminaries should be doing with young men is not what seminaries are doing. Seminaries are not building integrity into young men today. They are talking existentially about uh, sociology and how to do urban ministry and and, uh, keeping up with some of the contemporary worldviews and then modifying the gospel in order to be appealing and attractive to people. Even our most conservative seminaries may be teaching sound homiletics and hermeneutics and, and, and teaching a biblical worldview relative to the pastorate, but very few of those seminaries are really cultivating in the young men a real transformative development of character and personal traits that would arm them against the never-ending onslaught of temptation from the world outwardly and the inward propensities of sin uh, in their nature that has to be dealt with at all times in order for them to even begin to qualify for running this race called the pastorate. So it's not at all surprising to me that the young lady was um, precariously placed in this young man's view by the serpent, by the adversary, uh, at their wills, and and then an occasion like this occurred. Now, the bigger crime would be the crime of the chancellor if, in fact, what he did was justify the young man's collapse into an act of utter shameful rebellion with this young lady by suggesting that it's the young lady's fault. Uh, it is completely beside the point on this level of discussion as to whether or not Uh, The lady played a role in provoking the man to do what he did. If the chancellor is functioning on a righteous platform, he is now recognizing the criminal behavior of his student. And that behavior now has to be dealt with absolutely honestly and above board. Otherwise, the chancellor is no different than the papacy and, and, and the pope and all of the scandalous activity that goes on within Catholicism of protecting and hiding priests all over the world. Nothing about this is new. Don't get upset with me. You can call if you want to, but this is all out in the open. I'm not just someone being pejorative about Catholicism. Catholicism has just shown us the model of uh, protecting priests from evident and obvious and egregious sexual activities at length for for hundreds of years, if not millenniums. Uh, and, and nothing is done about it because they can they can switch and bait all day long and uh, just hide the priest. But everybody in the Catholic Church that has been there for five minutes knows that this is what's going on. And it's criminal and it's ungodly. And so if this has indeed occurred, then the uh, the the chancellor has engaged in what we might call today from the standpoint of the antithesis battle, a hyper godless patriarchal privilege, a hyper godless patriarchal privilege, throw the woman under the bus, protect the man. Throw the woman under the bus, protect the men. Now, I'm speaking from two positions. I'm speaking from the position of an elder 
uh, as a pastor who have young men under me and have had young men under me for a long time. And they all know that I talk to them about character before calling. Character before proclamation. We're not to impress people, we're to inspire people, and that requires character before the content and communication of the gospel. And a lot of times it's way easier to put on the form of communicating the gospel than it is to walk in a character that should draw men and women to loving Christ. But older men ought to be speaking into younger men's lives around character because character is what qualifies us to speak authoritatively into people's lives, i.e. Joseph, i.e. Daniel, i.e. Uh, Mishio, Hananiah, and Azariah. And if you don't know, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, i.e. the Lord Jesus. And then ultimately the apostles. Character has to precede that. And in our superficial world today, we're not looking for character. We're looking for, 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 for clowns to be able to kind of meet our felt needs. And the church has frequently collapsed into that as well. Now, the other hat I'm wearing, Ellen, is the hat of a father, which means um, every time I think about the rape of a young woman, I think about any one of my six daughters and any one of my four granddaughters. That's what I think about. That's exactly what I think about. So this proceeds from a pastoral, paternal impetus and drive on my part that uh, if I were to have one of my daughters come in and say, Dad, uh, this is what happened, uh, I would be inclined to say the same thing in that context as I'm saying to you now, notwithstanding how grieved I would be and utterly disappointed that my daughter may have behaved in a fashion that would have contributed to her being put in a compromised situation because we do operate out of a volition that requires accountability. Uh, the I, I, Here's another word. And, I, and all the lines open, one 367 I got to take a break. one 367 Wine and dinner, ladies. Wine and dinner with a dude. Dinner, dudes, and wine. Dinner, dudes, and drink. Those are my three points. Let me lay out my three points. Dinner, dudes, and drinks make for a disastrous evening. And if you're a godly woman, it should never happen. Dinner, dudes, and drinks. All that says is, is the door is open if you can find the handle. That's all that says to any young woman. If you're sitting and having dinner with somebody, having a drink, drinking does nothing but remove every every moral and ethical restraint from your conscience and from your heart. There's a reason for it too. This is so fascinating. I was dealing with this recently on the on the on the on on another matter that has to do with uh, intimacy, uh, and so so there's a purpose for it in its own place. But if you're doing dinner and a drink with a do, my, my, my darling sisters, that's disastrous on the face of it. He won't tell you, but that he knows that that signal means that all he has to do is find the door and he can enter in. And he has a nature for it. And that ought never to be a pattern for godly women. Religious women, yeah. Church women, because the news has been out for decades. Man, we can get us some church women. 
I can get me a church girl. Just give me the right situation. Let me check some things and, and put some tests out there. I know I can get her. Anyhow, all the lines are open, one 367 I'm going to take a break, and y'all can give me a call if you want to on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. And now, back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time, 625. Let me go to line number four and talk with Derek in San Francisco. Derek, are you there? All right, seems like we lost. Derek, is that line number four? Are we on? There we go. Line number four. Derek, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How you doing? I'm great. What's going on? Good, good. I I caught the tail end last week, and my concern is, I guess during this time period, I look to you like an elder statesman to the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. The brother called about the word faith, which I believe is false teaching as well. Mm -hmm. But I believe that as an elder, yes, you tell him the truth, but you look for ways to instruct, especially young men, to connect and mature and be seasoned so they can grow into an elder, so they can not fray the body of Christ, but keep the body of Christ connected. And so, uh, like I said, he asked us, you threw your softball about the word faith, which I'm sure most of us believe is false teaching. But to say a word "faither" is inherently not saved may be going too far. I don't think you did. I don't think you heard that. I, I thought I did. No, you now, didn't. I could be wrong. You I'm could be, and I'm gonna help you with that because I have. Yes, sir. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna help you with that. I mean, you know, I love you. Okay. You know that. I love uh, you too. Yeah, right. I love you too, brother. And I know you do. Uh, and, and this frequently happens, too, where, you know, we, we will be addressing a subject that has some tension to it. And we will mm-hmm. all be operating from different positions, not necessarily contrary positions from different angles. And mm-hmm. as such, I might hear Derek say something about a particular topic with which I have a view or a position. And Derek says something verbatim, but I don't listen to the verbatim uh, denotation of what he said, I actually read into it something slightly different that is not exactly the same as what Derek said. For instance, I never did talk about who was saved and who was not. What me and the young men talked about from Brentwood is the classical conclusion that was drawn by the reformers around the distinction between Arminianism and Calvinism historically. And what he asked of me was one thing. Was it a false gospel? He didn't actually, the young man didn't even go over into talking about whether the people with whom he was engaging were saved or not. That would have been, that would have been presumptuous on me or him. Um, And this is a matter I deal with all the time because, you know, my my church is large enough for us to have all kind of people visiting and even becoming part of the church. Uh, Between Catholics, between former uh, faith awarders, uh, uh, word of faith people, uh, Pentecostals, uh, you know, Grace and Hayward, we have them. And and the only real way, and you already already have affirmed this, Derek, the only real way to, to work with people from where they are to where you want them to be is on a relational level. 
And and the young man was really talking about being kind of weary of engaging his word of faith friends with a uh, Calvinistic framework of theology, which I happen to believe is a good system and being able to try and find a way of getting them to understand the inherent dangers of an Arminian position. I fully understand what he said. He now he did ask me finally at the end, is it a false gospel? And I said, yeah. Um, but that is as far as I went. I, I wouldn't at all go as far as to say that they are lost or unsaved or, or what have you. The way, the work of grace uh, beginning in the heart of any individual doesn't start with a complete full uh, systematic theology uh, litmus test to determine whether or not you comprehend the ontological nature of the triune God and understand eschatology properly with all the other categories in between before you get saved. You and I know that. Right, because that's why we debated whatever, five weeks or whatever, Yeah, and we left as brethren yeah. because we know we were discussing a mechanism that God uses Whatever mechanism he uses, he uses to save. So that's what we were debating, and we were debating as saved brethren, brethren who are saved. I would concur that word faith is false teaching. I I began to look up what makes it false gospel versus false teaching. You, you understand where I'm coming from? Because I can say I disagree with Calvinism, which is, which I do, which is why we debate it. I disagree with secessionism, which I do. I disagree with dispensationalism. Now, you know there's a gospel giant on KFAX that believes in all of those things. And, you know, people have men, men crushes on him. Yeah. But I'm not saying he's not saved. And we know there was one who used to be on KFAX whose main thing was talking about within the tale of orthodoxy and the main things are the plain thing. And he left and joined the church. I've never, in my almost 60 years on the planet, heard anybody from that church he's in now preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, but see, so, but see, now you you tipped over on, on that part. You're talking about the Greek Orthodox Church. So, I mean, this would be a fascinating... I, I, I'm saying, I'm giving my testimony. I right. haven't heard them on the streets witnessing, knocking on doors. I, I've never heard that passing out flyers. Now yeah, I'm well, not saying they don't. Right. I'm giving my testimony. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> see, you doing good till you get right there because I can tell you there's a ton you and you and I can learn from uh, Greek Orthodox men. Um, I can tell you that even from Catholic men, just in terms of nuances of theology that happens to unfortunately Correct. be shrouded over by a lot of uh, traditionalism Ooh. and and mysticism. Correct. But you and I know we Correct. can. But that's that's where. We come in, or you come in during this time as an elder, and you help connect the dots. Right. There are, some dot, there are some dots that can be connected, and there are some dots that can. And this is where humility comes in at, because, you, you, for instance, you're, you're using the—we're talking about the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism. On an intellectual level, we cannot agree. The, the right. systems are designed to be mutually exclusive. And now we all have to submit to the word of God to determine whether the word of God leans on one side or the other, or whether the word of God has a transcendent position that knows how to employ some of one and some of the other. Right. Well, the, that's what, that was the whole purpose and nature of our discussion and debate. And I believe we both pointed to the scriptures. However, I believe that how you view the scriptures were incorrect. So, what if I did that and said, well, Calvinism is inherently a false gospel. 
Well, you would have you to. You would, yeah, you would have to. You would have to. He setting you up to be an enemy, though. I'm not saying that's so. I'm. I'm saying if I did that in answering the question, I would be setting you up as an enemy of the truth. I would be setting up. But what if it were true? Okay, if it were true, you have to do that. You you wouldn't be loving me if you didn't do that. Okay, but what if you were saved? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, uh, Eric, okay. uh, uh, don't, Derek. Okay, let me, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, don't, okay. don't, because I do actually got to move into some, some other calls. The topic is fascinating. We should talk about it in the future. If you actually, logic would say that you and I cannot hold two mutually opposing truths at the same time where there is no correlation at any point and both of them be true. That's what logic would say. Now we have to now confer to the scriptures to see, do we have any justifiable positions for our views in the scriptures? And historically, just let's leave you and me out. Historically, the church has survived up to this moment with both Calvinists and Arminian uh, 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 putting forth the gospel best they can do it with the view and prism with which they interpret that. And I think the final uh, arbitration is only going to be when the Lord comes. But I fully embrace the reality that God has powerfully used men on both sides of the equation. One, uh, one, 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 you know, one, one example of that for me is Whitfield and Wesley. Uh, and, 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 and so we, you and I have no right to uh, cross over into the ultimate judgment as to whether men are saved or not. But what we can do is if we define the gospel in a way that can be clearly demonstrated in scripture, we can say whether or not what a man is preaching is the true gospel or not. But, but in this case, uh, we're, we're being underdeveloped when it comes to the word of faith in that regard. I, in time, I would be glad to talk about it. I don't know if it's a passe thing or not. I'm not, I'm not, you know, real close to the word of faith issues right now. I know they were burgeoning, you know, 10, 20 years ago, but I'm not so sure they're burgeoning now for a whole lot of reasons. But uh, your points are well taken. The the only thing I want to take back is that the assumption that we called those guys unsaved, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. We pushed the envelope, and I will stand by it, that in our Arminian system is not the gospel as properly interpreted by Scripture uh, from a Calvinistic standpoint. But that does not mean that Arminians don't preach the gospel who understand how to exalt God in Christ. I, an example for me is J. Vernon McGee. He was just one of my patron saints. And, he, you know, when he, whenever he came over to election and, and uh, limited atonement, that's when he was like scratching the chalkboard for me. But I loved him to death right well that's what we do and and exactly how we as elders do and teach the younger saints you feed you learn you glean you you don't shut the door of your heart on anybody i don't think he did i don't i don't think he did i i I really don't if you were listening carefully not that yeah not that not the young man i don't believe he did either exactly but i think we have to be careful about that as well true and uh i agree i know when you're at noon, you're in your pulpit. This time, I think you're speaking broadly to the body of Christ as a seasoned elder of the church. Ninety percent of the time, I do, uh, and and when we ninety percent of the time, I do. And here's the reason why: it's largely a, a scriptural expository development of the scriptures. It's not not plopping down on top of the scriptures. Calvinism. I mean, people can charge me with that, but that would be pejorative. Uh, they're going to be 90% of the things that I would teach that you would teach as long as you're, we're not forcing into it uh, certain presuppositions that I'm going to fully and totally agree with.
it. When you faithfully and soundly uh, exegete that text of scripture, I'm going amen because I, I just love the word when it's just plainly taught. And I'm sure you do, too. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, we are one in Christ. Absolutely. Bless you, man. God bless you, brother. All right. Talk to you later. Let me see here. I'm going to um, let me see here. I'm going to clear out some lines so I can uh, finish up with my sister here. So, Deb, you're going to hold on. Let me go to line number one and talk with Nelson. Nelson, are you there? Um, Oh, hold on. Are we due for a break? Okay. All right. Nelson, Nelson, are you there? I'm I'm here. Okay, what's your question, comment, or observation? Um, you, you know, when you're just talking to the last person, I could not hear you, so I want to go back on the podcast and listen to that. But um, um, uh, yeah, for some reason, I didn't have my tablet to follow you, but but I can only hear him. I couldn't hear you. But you said about the Word of Faith movement, right? Look at the devil. Huh? Did, I'm kidding. <laughs> could you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So what? Yeah, what so talking, okay, okay. You're talking about the Word of Faith movement. Yeah, I, I think it is pretty bad. I mean, I grew up Pentecostal in the Church of God in Christ, and I got I got saved there. I went to Church of God in Christ in Okinawa, Japan. They, they, there's actually a Church of God in Christ there, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I stayed in Church of God in Christ until 1989. That's exactly 30 years right. um, from this year, and I started going to different churches, fundamentalist, Bible college in Baltimore, and everything. But the Word of Faith movement is bad. I mean, the stuff that Miles Monroe said, All that. I mean, he's horrible. Oh, I mean, that stuff is horrible. He said, um, he said, the, the problem your co-workers and friends have with your Christianity, because you keep on talking about a cross, you keep talking about a resurrection, um, you keep talking about the blood. This is all on YouTube, in his own words. Yeah, I know. And, um, Oh, horrible. Yeah. It, this is the first person. Miles Monroe is the first person. I, I told my brother, I said, I'm kind of glad he died so he doesn't spread that anymore in, in that he he does, he's not condemning himself anymore. True. You know. True. Um, that's the first person I ever said that about. In in Fred Price, um, uh, one black YouTuber, the one who took James White to tax, to, to, to task for the stuff he said about the black community. But anyways, what he said about Frederick Price, um, Frederick Price's message where Jesus committed suicide, he took the gun to his head and pulled the trigger, and and then Joyce Myers saying that Jesus Christ um, became like a demon on the cross, and um, Kenneth Copeland believes the same thing. I mean, they have a horrible... Teacher, and, and they're money grabbers. I mean, mm-hmm. Frederick Price has hey, been. Um, hey, Nelson, guess what? Uh uh uh. We're not we're not rolling out all of the heretics and the word of faith for the next twenty minutes and talking about them. No, nobody, oh yeah, we'll be going no, on forever. Exactly, man. and nobody's edified by that. It's true. If I decided to do an issue on the word of faith, I'm gonna make sure that I, I call you so you can be part of. Let's pull them all out and put them up against the wall and shoot them posthumously. But we're not gonna do that because I actually but do have some real bad 
bad quotes the one I was saying that they're no they're all that. bad and and I oh, and I know wow. everyone and I know everyone that you're talking about I do I've studied them at length this was something that was a major part of my formation and development of a sound uh reformed uh, uh structure of theology that 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 allowed me to militate against a lot of that for our black community of which many people came out but many of them are still in there for a whole lot of reasons as well but that that's that's it I've uh, I've got to go. Um, I will talk to you later. Bless you. Bless you, my brother. Let's take a break so I can come back a little early and finish this last segment with my sister. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. Let's go to line two and talk with my friend Deborah for a few minutes. Deborah, are you there? I'm here. Good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well, and I'm and I'm glad to know that you're doing better. I feel great right about now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. It's Have you ever like had food poisoning? Horrible experience. Have you ever been there? Absolutely, absolutely. I knew exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> it was shortly after. It was shortly after we had that wonderful time. It's just amazing how life can change for about seven or eight hours. It was. I wasn't even sure if I was going to be coming in to do the show at that point. About eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock at night. I'm going. I feel like just you know leaving this earth, just going. Own yeah. home to glory, you know. Yes, and all you can do is ride it out. Yes, indeed, and and I yes. feel I right now I feel really good. So let's Wonderful. let's yeah let's monopolize these next uh, ten minutes and talk about um, talk about this Saturday. Yeah, I I like you. I am so very excited about uh, the Daughters of Grace Ministry hosting our fall conference mm-hmm. uh, this Saturday and. Mm-hmm. Again, it's at 10 o'clock, and I'd like to extend an invitation to all of the sisters in your listening audience, both young and mature, to come out and and join us. Uh, Grace Bible Church is located at 20560 Royal Avenue in Hayward, 94541, again, 20560. Royal Avenue, Hayward, 94541. And our topic is Perfect Love, Cast Out Fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I just am, you know, I always say that I'm so excited about the upcoming topic, but by far this topic of uh, love works of faith, leading us out of our fears and into God's fullness is a is going to be a solution to a lot of our brokenness and inadequacies that we as sisters are dealing with have been dealing with that we've just um made a part of our uh, a part of our normal existence um we just we just carry them along with us as though they have to be with us and they are a part of us, which is a lie. Mm-hmm. And, and that lie is going to be um, uncovered on, on Saturday. And I'm just so excited for all the sisters who will be in the audience and who will hear, God willing, that he would bless us with hearing ears and seeing eyes. To, to be able to see the lie. I don't know. Did you hear Faye? Faye was one of my earlier callers 
um, struggling with a life pattern that she had. Did you hear Faye's testimony about helping people, helping people, helping people, and then uh, con- realizing that she's completely depleted, completely empty, yes. completely? Did you hear that? Yes. Now, yes. I, did you see yes. the co- Did you see the correlation? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and she is the sister who is celebrating her birthday along with some sister friends right. on Saturday. Is that correct? Absolutely. I just wanna I just wanna say to her, bring the sister friends with her. Mm. Um, because this is going to be talking about a birthday celebration, <laughs> this would be awesome for for her as well as her her sister friend. I agree, and and, and for me, I, I'm 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 putting on my pastoral hat slash you know um, psychology hat or counselor hat, and dealing with faith right. as a model uh, over against our text. <clears throat> Perfect love cast out fear um, because fear has torment, and a lot of times what we are doing in our attempt at working out our walk with God and loving people, because that's really what James John is talking about in chapter four, as you know, uh, how can we uh, say we love God whom we have not seen and, 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 and not love our brother whom we have seen. And we are often compelled to want to exhibit love and execute love, um, you know, because we know that's the right thing to do. And yet we will discover that there are major impediments to the execution of that love, as I was sharing with Faye, that yeah. come up and we come to discover that even what I want to do is impeded by other things that I'm not quite aware of hindering me from being able to execute that love. And now she's discovering certain anxieties. She's discovering uh, certain phobic uh, elements, depression, and things like that. This is what Christ is saying here. This is what God is saying here that a mature love knows how to actually address and deal with the things that are rooted in fear and unbelief that are manifested by bad practices, bad motives that lead to bad outcomes. In other words, the good that I would end up being a bad thing for me when I'm not really capable of identifying other elements that are impeding my ability to fully manifest that love of God in Christ. And I know that that's what she was calling about. God had ordained that call, by the way, as the first call. I'm like, okay, there you go. Yes, and she is not alone. She is not at all alone. And the enemy would have her to think that she is, that her situation is a very isolated set of circumstances. But... You know, overall, uh, we as women, um, functioning from a very emotional place is what we tend to do. Right. We either don't feel worthy or deserving of love. And so we have different um, experiences on a number of different levels when it comes to that topic in and of itself. Right. And when we, and when we were... And when we were firm on what this uh, month's topic was going to be, I actually did a polling of ladies between the ages of 15 all the way up to 80 and 90 years old. And if I may, may I share a few of the responses to a question that I asked? Sure. Um, That question was, when you think of the word love, what comes to your mind? Right. And I got, I got such a variety of responses. One, I'm not sure what it is. Right. And this sister was 50 plus. 
Right. Another one said, I have a lot of pain around the topic of love just in and of itself. Mm-hmm. This sister was in her 30s. Right. Um, another one said, people in my life who were supposed to love me ended up hurting me, and that hurt is extremely pain was extremely painful and carries over into other very significant relationships in my life to this day. Right. See? And then yet another said, uh, in my family, meaning my parents and with my siblings, among my siblings, I felt loved. But outside of my family, uh, it, it was hit and miss. Right. And then, and then there was another response that was, uh, love in my life has been conditional. Yeah. There's always something attached to it. And then, and then another sister said her anthem was uh, Tina Turner's song, What's Love Got to Do With It? Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, so, so Pastor, what would you say uh, to, to these sisters about, um, about uh, how she can allow herself to accept and believe and the love that we're talking about, we're talking about mm. God's love. We're talking about a perfect love. Right. Because every good and perfect thing comes from, from him. Right. Um, how, I, do you, how, do you, how do you go from, you know, being hurt and devastated and in pain and all of your synonyms around the word love are just, not so great to opening up your heart, opening up your mind, opening up your soul to this love that the Lord has for us that is just not only healing, but, but it's just awesome. Right. And I'm going to do that in one minute because that's all we got left in terms oh, no. of, <laughs> right. But, but the, that's, that's really the, that's really the foundation of our uh, ministry. We have to actually take the propositions of scripture seriously. And when we don't, uh, we end up being impacted by not doing that. So when we read verse 18 of chapter four, there is no fear in love. Yeah. Perfect love cast out fear because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And this is what I would have to say. We have to understand true biblical love as a process. True biblical love as a process. God knows we are broken. And yeah. so he yeah. enters into our life. Uh, with the remedy that would begin the process of healing. So we have to come to uh, believe the love that God has for us and allow it to work itself out in our lives. And I'm going to say it like this. It's going to require women taking a much more, uh, and this would be for men too, without a doubt, a much more mm-hmm. serious role in understanding how the spirit of God is to operate in our lives he has to become much more of a, a relational dynamic in a woman's life who is being impeded by past wounds, past brokenness. The spirit of God is given to us. He is given to us to enter into deep hyper communal relationship with us in order to bring about the healing that leads us 
to a sense of satisfaction in what the son has done for us and then a sense of uh, paternal uh, confidence in who God the Father is. And so the Spirit of God is there to work with us, as we're going to talk about on Saturday, to bring us into a very comfortable relationship with the Father by virtue of the sacrifice of the Son. So that's what we're looking forward to. And everyone hearing our voice today should try to make it their highest objective to join us on Saturday. Deb, looking forward to it. I'll see you in a few days. And for those of you who are listening, God bless you. Uh, Keep your eyes on Christ, and maybe we'll see you on Saturday. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.